morning. It is great to have each of you with us today. And as uh, I begin today, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I want to read a text message to you. I, I get text messages all the time, and rarely would I share them in a sermon. Uh, but actually, I, I want you to hear the prayer that was offered this morning for you as a church and for me. This came from another pastor who uh, is not in this area. But first, he quoted from Luke chapter 24, verse 45. He said, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then this is his prayer. Heavenly Father, I praise your holy and righteous name. I pray for your servant, my brother and friend. I pray that you anoint his mind and tongue as he proclaims your word to a people who are often confused, lost, and distracted in a world that dispatches messages that are contrary to your word. Your word can penetrate the hardest of hearts. Your truth will equip them with a spirit of discernment, trusting your holy word. The wounded will be healed, the sick will be restored, and the lost will discover the Messiah. I pray that your church shall flourish through the good news being delivered in this season. He said in Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for uh, the people that make up this church. I pray today that you would give wisdom and discernment. I pray that as the word is presented, that you would speak to each one of us, that we would be challenged to become more like you because of that word. Help us to be receptive, to receive the word in such a way that it would impact who we are moving forward. Pour out your spirit on us, and I pray that such miraculous works would take place that nobody would be able to question, but to know that we have a God who is still on the throne and working among his people. Change hearts, change lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is a blessing to be able to share with you this morning, and my name is Pastor Mike. If I've not met you already, it is a blessing uh, that you chose to worship with us today. Have you ever known someone who you thought had a high ceiling? I'm not talking about the height of their living room. I'm talking about the height of their potential. Often this is a phrase that is used with athletes who seem to naturally have more potential than other athletes. I've even heard this phrase among those in the academic realm. Imagine that you have two children and one has various learning disabilities and the other is able to retain information like a computer. Which one has the higher ceiling? Now, I will say this, even if you are not the one with the higher ceiling, the reality is God can do great things through every individual who will willingly surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And sometimes we are surprised that often the one who seemed to have the lower ceiling seemed to overachieve and they become amazing instruments to change the world. So don't allow that to become your excuse not to be great. But we each know of individuals that we would look at and say they have a higher ceiling than others. The scripture teaches of a man who had a high ceiling. He was just an ordinary man in many ways, but his potential was through the roof. And his name was Stephen. His story is found in Acts chapter 6 and 7. And if you want to turn there, you can. While I won't read the entirety of the story today... I do want to read portions of it uh, to you this morning. My guess is that most of you are at least a little bit familiar with his story. As he becomes the first 
individual to be martyred following the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, I will also say the term martyr literally translated means witness. But when we refer to someone as a martyr, we typically think about the fact that such an individual died as a result of their faith. Well, for Stephen, he was a martyr in both ways. He was a witness to the saving work of Jesus Christ, but he also died for his faith. But before we get to the part of him dying for his faith, we see that he was a man full of potential. Actually, he was full of a lot of things, and they all seem to be good. We are first introduced to him in Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 to begin with. Look at it with me. It says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Permanus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So I told you that Stephen was a man who was full of a lot of things. What he truly was is a man of God. But of course, we don't know much about him prior to this reference. We know that he wasn't one of the original 12 disciples, but it is possible that he was one that at least had had a personal encounter with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Another possibility is that Stephen was simply one of the new believers that responded on the day of Pentecost or shortly thereafter. Generally speaking, there is a danger in placing a new believer in a position of authority. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, that we should not lay hands too quickly upon those in leadership. Actually, in the New Living Translation, it's a little clearer as Paul is saying, never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. But regardless of how long Stephen has been a believer, regardless of how new his faith journey is, there is something that stands out about his life. Actually, there are several things that stand out about his life. According to this passage, we see that he is noted first as being full of the spirit and of wisdom. This was apparently the primary qualification for all seven of the people that are chosen there in the first few verses. Then later in verse five, we see that he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. 
And then finally in verse 8, we see that he was also full of grace and power. It's not in my notes here, but as I read that, the thought goes through my mind, he didn't have just a little bit of that stuff. He didn't have a little bit of wisdom and spirit. He didn't have a little bit of faith in the Holy Spirit. He didn't have a little bit of grace and power. In each of those situations, he is described as being full of those things. When you get full of that much stuff, eventually you start splashing out on other people. And that's what was happening with Stephen. Everything about him spoke of the presence of the Lord in his life. This was a man that was full of grace, full of faith, full of the Spirit, full of power. And he couldn't help but splash out onto the people around him. Now, please note that the characteristics described here caused him to stand out from the rest of the crowd. In fact, even the second reference as him being full of faith in the Holy Spirit, it's worth noting that he is the only one who received that designation. Seven names listed, he is the only one who's described in that way. In other words, not everyone displayed such things. But there are certain characteristics that perhaps should be quite common amongst anyone who is a child of God. For example, in Galatians chapter 5, we see a list of fruits that ought to naturally occur when the Spirit makes his presence in our lives. We call them the fruits of the Spirit. They include love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And truthfully, when we take on these characteristics, they should make us naturally stand out from the rest of the world. But we shouldn't stand out from other Christians. And the reason I say that is all Christians ought to display those characteristics. And if we're not displaying those characteristics, then something is wrong. So here's my first question to you today. Are you displaying the fruits of the Spirit? If someone were to describe your life, your attitude, your actions, everything about you, would the fruits of the Spirit be evident in you? And if the answer is no, then I ask, what needs to change? Well, Stephen apparently displayed these characteristics, and the result is that he is given a position of service. Now, it's also important for us to know that this was not some glamorous position that he has offered. He wasn't asked to stand up and speak in front of the crowd that was going to gather that next day, although eventually he would end up in front of a large crowd. He is simply tasked with helping to wait on tables. Actually, the statement that the disciples make is that it would not be right for us to give up the ministry of prayer and the word to wait on tables. So we want seven other people to do that. Well, here we have Stephen, along with six others, doing a work that nobody probably wanted to do. But he willingly does it. Because he knows that what he is doing is making a difference. 
This was not about recognition. It was all about being faithful and meeting the needs as they arose within that early church. Are you willing to serve without recognition? I mean, if there was a need today, would you jump up and say, you know what, I'll take care of it, I'll do it, even if nobody else knows? So often we get individuals who want to serve, but they want to make sure that you have expressed appreciation as well. Well, it's possible Stephen may not get any appreciation whatsoever, may not have anyone who notices him, but he willingly serves. I've seen many pastors and politicians who are willing to serve just so long as they get recognition. I think of the politicians who go to a soup kitchen for the photo op rather than to actually help people. You see them in line helping and the moment that the cameras go away, thanks guys, we appreciate it, and they're done. I used to work with a pastor who would work incredibly hard for about three minutes. <laughs> and then he would turn into the best supervisor anybody had ever seen. And he always knew a better way to do it than the way you were doing it. But you know something that I discovered a long time ago, and I think that it bears true with Stephen and these other servants. People appreciate a true servant's heart. That's why they never have to address this problem again in the early church. Even in a behind-the-scenes role. Even when others might deem your role as unimportant, one who serves with both faithful and joyful hearts will always be appreciated. What about you? Do you have a servant's heart where you just want to make a difference in the world or in the lives of other people? Do you see a need and you long to fill it? Or do you need to be recognized? It doesn't take much to realize that Stephen was not only a man of God, he was what I and I think most others would call an overachiever. He was originally chosen simply because he was full of the spirit and wisdom, but he would show himself to be full of so much more. First in verse five, as I already stated, says he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And then in verse eight, being full of God's grace and power. Perhaps this is partially why he is later defined as having the face of an angel, even as he is being stoned to death. Often angels serve as instruments of grace, and they certainly seem quite powerful. But know that such a description is more than just saying that he looked sweet and gentle. Consider the most common initial greeting from angels. Fear not. Do not be afraid. They must not be that sweet and gentle if they have to begin with fear not. But what they are is imposing and confident. They know who they are and they know their purpose. Back to where we started right after that last song today. It could be said that Stephen also knew who he was and he knew his purpose. I ask yet another question of you today. Who are you and what is your purpose? I declare, declare to you today that I am a child of God and my purpose is to lift up the name of Jesus to anyone who will listen. And I wonder how different the church world would be 
not just this local church, but I wonder how different the church world as a whole would be if each of us saw our purpose as simply being the instrument of God's working and us being willing to do whatever he called us to do. Well, Stephen displays God's grace and power in significant ways. Sure, he's willing to wait on tables, which displays a servant's heart. Like Jesus, Stephen humbles himself as a servant and in many ways reveals grace to the rest of these new believers. But there is a power that cannot be contained within him. According to verse 8, Stephen performed great wonders and signs among the people. In fact, listen to verses 8 through 10 for a moment. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. The scripture doesn't define what those great wonders and signs were, although we can infer that they were significant. Consider some of the other miraculous works, the great signs and wonders that had already taken place and people had witnessed. The sick had been healed. Food had been multiplied. The dead were raised. So to define Stephen's work as great, they must have been something amazing. But of course, Stephen was more than a magic show. There were those who sought to discredit him. I guess they didn't like the attention that he was receiving. Or maybe the fact that as he received that attention, he pointed it all back to Jesus. So these members of the synagogue of the freedmen sought to argue with him. And Stephen's response was simply to speak with wisdom from the Spirit. Now, I know that the primary focus today is going to be on Stephen, but I would like to take a moment and point out one word of caution that is found in these members of the synagogue of the freedmen. In every group of people, you have some who are probably operating out of their own self-interest. But it is likely that the majority of these members saw themselves as being right. They were probably born out of a desire to keep the Jewish faith pure, which is an admirable thing. And on this occasion, they are likely attempting to set Stephen straight because they wanted to keep the Jewish faith pure. And I do appreciate this, but I also realize that they were obviously wrong. It's easy for us because uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we can look back and say, they got this completely wrong. I caution you to be careful. Stand for what is true and right, but make sure that what you stand for really is true and right. Does it line up with the scriptures or is it just lining up with your opinion? In addition, I encourage you to be judicious even about when you stand up. I have a friend who is on social media a lot. And every time he's on there, he's got another soapbox issue. 
And the thing is that he's probably right on many of those issues. But nobody's listening because he hasn't been judicious about when to stand up and when to speak and fight. The friend that I mentioned uses social media as his platform. But obviously there are other avenues that get used. Be wise about what you say and when you say it. Whether it be through social media, email, texting, or in person, be wise about standing up for what's right. Do it, but do it in a way where people can hear it and they will be able to respond. Well, let's get back to our story. By the way, we'll come back to this idea a little bit later in today's message. It was seen that regardless of how noble their cause may have initially been, these members of the synagogue of the freedmen also were not fond of losing their debates. Every time they try to stand against Stephen, they walk away in disappointment and frustration because of the Holy Spirit's wisdom. So they'll have to try some more extreme measures. Actually, they may not have been all that extreme, seeing as how they do the exact same thing that the Pharisees had done to Jesus. They bring false allegations against him, and they stir up others, even some of the respected leaders of the Sanhedrin, to confirm these allegations. And the result is that he is arrested and given the opportunity to speak in front of a very angry crowd. And although his message will not be well received, it could be said that Stephen showed himself as a preacher of truth. And what a frustrating message he brought that day. Again, I'm not going to read the entirety of his message. In fact, about the first 50 verses of chapter 7 will describe what he says. The moment that he is arrested, the religious leaders already knew what they had in mind for him. He was going to die that day. So they give him a chance to defend himself, almost in hopes that he would dig a deeper hole for himself. They're looking for an opportunity to claim him as a blasphemer against Moses and God. But he doesn't give them what they were looking for. Instead, for some time, he shares a message that would have seemed very welcome It was perfectly in line with the Old Testament scriptures and what they teach. It was biblically accurate. It was true to tradition. Before I get into what he says next, let me just say that this is where we need to begin as well. In fact, I would suggest that stepping away from tradition and biblical truth is the point where Christians and churches often get into trouble. And it's not always in big things. It may be a compromise here or there that leads to another thing that just got a little bit bigger than the first. And it will continually progress. And before long, that church or Christian will drift so far away from the truth until they no longer represent the Lord in the way they live or teach. They become like the church that Paul talked about In 2 Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. In fact, let me show you this from a church perspective. This week, a report... By the way, I have no idea the background of anyone in here. I am simply sharing statistics with you. 
So if it is offensive, I can't help you. This week, a report came out regarding a more liberal denomination known as the PCUSA. It's basically the Presbyterian Church of America. They would be included among a group of churches known as mainline churches, with, uh, which typically includes churches like the Lutheran or the Episcopal or even the United Methodist Church. What puts them in a similar category is not the formality of their worship. In fact, if you were to go to a United Methodist Church, the way they worship would likely be very different than what you would see in, say, a PCUSA church. But rather, they are similar because of their theology that is typically viewed as more liberal. Anyways, according to the PCUSA, on average, over the past three years, their denomination has decreased in membership size by over 52,000 people per year. And they are closing, on average, 116 churches per year. But those aren't surprising statistics. The reality is that they have been in an almost constant state of decline since their peak in the early 1960s. And by the way, the same would be true for each of those other denominations that I just mentioned. It should also be noted that mainline churches have experienced a greater decline than the other two primary categories of churches, although among evangelical churches there is also a slight decline, although they've also had periods of growth which have made up for some of the losses. And churches known as holiness churches, which, by the way, the Wesleyan Church would be included among that group, they have technically been the most stable. But they too have seen a shift, a downward shift in recent years. In fact, I have a chart that I think you should see behind me there. In 2014, a study was done that evaluated church health in America, figuring in surveys that included issues like church attendance, church membership, prayer patterns, and even a general view toward Christianity over the years. And honestly, this chart should be alarming to the church as a whole. Look at the decline that has occurred. The irony to me is that so many denominations seem set on becoming more like the mainline denominations, becoming more palatable to the world more all-inclusive, more permissible. Yet those churches are healthiest when they just stick to tradition and scripture. In fact, let me add one last statement about this. I was talking to another pastor recently who noted that Trinity Wesleyan Church is not someone who's on staff here. Noted that Trinity Wesleyan Church is one of the most conservative growing churches in our denomination. I would simply add that I think a large part of why we are growing is because we are maintaining our focus on tradition and scripture. I could go on for a while about this as I'm kind of a nerd about trying to understand church growth stuff, but I don't want to get us too far off track. The point is that people and churches are healthiest when we stick to tradition and scripture. 
And the moment we wander from those things, we find ourselves on dangerous ground. So let's be faithful as individuals and as a church. How do you make that happen? To begin with, the word of God needs to become a part of your life beyond what happens on Sunday morning. I encourage you, listen to the word that's preached on Sunday. You're going to hear the scriptures taught here. But if you are not allowing the word to be a part of your life on a daily basis, then you are missing out on what God has to offer you. These are the basics Allowing the word of God to become central in your life. And when that happens, it changes everything. So I challenge you, make that a part of your life. We're going to make sure that this church continues on that path. But it will be dependent on you as an individual to maintain that outside of this building. So I challenge you with that. One more time, let's get back to the scripture. But this time, let's look at it in chapter 7. It's the same story, and Stephen has just laid out the foundation of truth. He talked about Moses and all that God had done to bring the people of Israel to this point. And then in verse 51, we see a sudden shift. He's been talking about tra tradition, but now he's going to get personal. This is what he says. You stiff-necked people. I don't know if he said it in that way, but I don't know how else to say it. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. What he does here is he moves from a very welcome truth that everyone could agree on to a very hard truth. They liked theology. They liked history. But now he's calling them out for who they are. You Stiff-necked people. He then gets specific about what basically they're doing. He's calling them hypocrites. You receive the law, but you don't even obey it. And what's interesting is on both occasions, he is speaking the truth. But we apparently like truth more when we're talking about theory or when it applies to someone else. We don't like it when the truth penetrates our hearts and lives. You know, in that moment, Stephen's audience has a choice to make. What do you do with the truth that we've just received? Would they be like the crowd who wanted to stone an adulterous woman, but after Jesus spoke, they walked away convicted of their own sin? Or would they follow through with their personal agenda? Unfortunately, they had already made their decision before Stephen began to speak that day. Listen to what happens according to verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God 
and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. There are two things I want you to see here today. First, there's a powerful image here within his death. We see Stephen reflecting the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. The words he speaks mirror that of Jesus. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Here he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he called them, you stiff-necked people, I told you, I don't know how else to say that where it doesn't sound ugly. In his prayer, he reveals that he was not trying to be ugly. He loved his audience. He wanted so much for them to be redeemed. And it's almost as if he just reached a point in this discussion that he realized me being gentle and just historical is not enough. And I need to speak the truth regardless of how hard it may be. I told you earlier about the members of the synagogue of the freedmen. I told you that we need to be wise and judicious about the way we speak, but I need you to understand that does not mean that you do not speak the truth. You simply need to be wise about the way you do it. There may be times that we need to be very direct, and it's very clear that they were not getting the message they needed to hear that day. So Stephen speaks boldly, and he speaks the truth, but he does it with love. So often we find ourselves almost disgusted by the people who sin around us. I will tell you, I am disgusted by the sin around us, but my heart breaks for those who participate in that sin. And that's where Stephen is. He loves these people, but he can't sit back and just baby them. Sometimes you got to speak the truth, even if it's a hard truth. How many of us parents have had to do that with our kids? How many husbands and wives have had to do that because things weren't being addressed? The reality is, in the body of Christ, we also need to speak the truth. Be wise about when to speak it, but there are times you just got to speak it. And even if people don't like it, they're just going to have to deal with it. My last point, and this comes with what happens here at the end. Stephen likely knew that when he spoke this truth, he was probably going to die. He knew what was in their hearts. He knew what was going on the moment he got arrested. Instead of softly dancing around the issue, he spoke the truth knowing that it would likely cost him his life. The title of this message today is a... I lost it. A love worth dying for. That's the problem with looking away from your notes. <laughs> the title of this message today is A Love Worth Dying For. You know, Stephen is not the only one who would die for this love, for this faith. Each of the other disciples, with the exception of John, would eventually die for their faith. 
and for their love for humanity. They could have chosen to be quiet. They could have chosen to not fight that battle. But the reality is they knew that what they were standing for was true. And they loved their audience way too much to allow it to not be spoken. And therefore, because of that love, they were willing to give of themselves. By the way, John, I told you he was not killed for his faith. There were attempts on his life and he would eventually be exiled on the Isle of Patmos where he would record the book of Revelation. But even then, he was paying the price for his faith. I wonder how many of us are willing to speak the truth and willing to give everything of ourselves even if it cost us everything else. My hope is that we would be willing to give. There was a shooting many years ago. Obviously, I lived in Colorado for a time, but uh, because of us living in Colorado, I became very familiar with this particular instance. It was a Columbine school where there was a young lady named Cassie Bernal. And as a part of this particular shooting, this young lady was challenged. The individual with the gun basically stood in front of her eyewitnesses, declared that the shooter told her, deny Christ and you can live. She refused. And because of that, she lost her life that day. You know, I think most people in this room today, if I were to say to you, deny Christ and you can live, most of us are willing to die for our faith. My question, are you willing to live for your faith. That means every day living in such a way that you are declaring to the world that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, that he has forgiven you, that he has redeemed you and making him a priority in everything you say and do. That is my prayer for you today, that God would make you a living sacrifice unto him. If you will bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, we are so grateful for all that you have done. We are so grateful for the truth that we have and the hope that we have that is found in you. And I pray today that you would simply become so real to us that we could not deny who you are. Not just in our willingness to die, but in our willingness to live for you. Father, I pray today that you would make us so willing that even if the world hates us for that message, that we would still be faithful to proclaim that message. Thank you for the love that you've shown to us. Give us that kind of love for the world around us. Lord, the reality is, so often we have fallen short in that area. Lord, help us to genuinely love the world the way you love them. You created them in your image and you love them so much that you would send your own son to die for them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love them with such abandon. Be honored in us in the way we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. It is such a blessing to have each of you with us this morning. I believe today God's going to do great things through you if you allow him to truly reign in you. Go in peace. Come back and join us next week if you can. Oh, by the way, I think, are there some pictures on here from the baptism last week? All right, they'll be on there next week. We got a couple more baptisms that'll take place in the second service uh, today. So we'll make sure you get to see that. Thank you very much.